Thank you for listening to Show Talk with Angela Butler. Today, the interview is Mr. Tommy Garcia. Mr. Tommy Garcia um, was is the son of Father Divine. Is it okay if I call you that, Mr. Garcia? Absolutely fine. That's absolutely fine. I'd like to introduce you to Father Divine. You all, I'm going to read an insert from um, from Mr. Henry Boyd about Father Divine. Her boy, I'm sorry, her boy, excuse me. Mention the name Father Divine to most people nowadays, and at best, you'll get a blank stare, followed by who? Or they may think of Reverend Ike or some other televangelist preacher whose sole purpose is of securing a few dollars from your wallet. A more informed response will come from those who know something about African-American history, and particularly the 1930s, when Father Divine and his peace mission movement provided food and sustenance to millions. Leaf through any compendium of black history, and you'll find a chapter, a photo, a personal reflection on Father Divine and how his ministry of social criticism, anti-racism, and the general welfare of the community was indispensable during the Great Depression. While a thoroughgoing discussion of Divine's mission can provide crucial insight, that is not Tommy Garcia's main objective, nor is such an undertaking possible, given Divine's edict that his biography was beyond apprehension. What Tommy so grippingly relates, however, is almost as fantastic as some of the astonishing events of Divine's life and is consistent with his often strange, unorthodox way of dealing with American history. By the early 1960s, Divine, whose followers believe him to be God, incarnate, was in the twilight of his years. Born George Baker Jr., Divine was in his early 80s and perhaps worried about his mortality despite the godlike, self-proclaimed divinity of his being and a belief in eternity. Father Divine forbade sexual intercourse. Thus, there was no possibility of producing an heir with his second wife, Mother Divine, leaving no alternative but adoption. Who among hundreds of choices would be the lucky one? What youngster would be chosen to live in the lap of luxury and comfort and maybe one day inherit Father Divine's extravagant empire? He chose the boy who did not have his eyes on those prizes or the throne. In 1962, like Moses out of the bulrushes, Tommy Garcia, of Greek and Mexican ancestry, was delivered to Father Divine in Gladwin, an affluent suburb of Philadelphia. Garcia, then eight years of age, along with his three-year-old sister Susan, were driven by their mother from Los Angeles, California, to the Divine Lorraine Hotel in Philadelphia, where they spent the night unaware of one another's whereabouts. The next morning, the children were delivered to Divine's 72-acre estate, Woodmont, known also as the Mount of the House of the Lord, a 32-room French Gothic mansion surrounded by manicured acres of lawn, formal and terraced gardens, ponds, and streams. Susan was immediately taken away and raised at another Divine property, while Tommy was personally presented to Divine himself. Woodmont then became home for Tommy. Though it might appear as a haven for Tommy, who was chosen as part of Father Divine's mission of an integrated society, it was still disconcerting without the comfort and love of his natural mother and father. 
This is Tommy's story, a compelling saga of how he endured living at Woodmont, the relationship with his new parents, his sister's ordeal and eventual tragedy, and his subsequent return to Woodmont in an attempt to piece together those eventful days of his youth. What possessed his mother to deliver her children to Father and Mother Divine? When did Tommy realize he could no longer maintain his sanity at Woodmont? How did his sister's death impact his life? How did he stabilize his life after the tumultuous years with the Divines? These are a few questions Tommy answers as he unfolds the narrative of his life. His is a unique American story, sui generis. While Tommy is at the center of this story, I firmly believe it also provides an aperture into one of the country's most fascinating human rights leaders, Father Divine. This was written by Herb Boyd, February 2015. Herb Boyd is an award-winning author, journalist, TV host, and professor. Mr. Boyd has produced more than 20 books and countless articles for national magazines and newspapers. Mr. Tommy, how are you doing, sir? Thanks, Angela. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I had to read that. I had to let people know um, about Father Divine and Mother Divine and about and how you got your start, Mr. Garcia. What was it like, sir? I, I gave a brief I gave a brief description of what Mr. Herb Boyd said it was like written in 2015. But you describe it. What what was Father Divine like? And who was Father Divine? Peace, everyone. First of all, Father Divine was a precursor to Martin Luther King. What Father Divine taught people during the Great Depression was how to raise their levels of life. Many of the followers who are people of color said to him that, well, we need the government to help us. And Father said, no, the government's not going to help us. What you need to do is we need to pool all our money together and learn, first of all, how to grow our own food. And then we have to learn how to feed ourselves. He took his followers up to Ulster County, New York, and bought a farm for pennies on the dollar. And they started to learn how to grow their own food. And they started feeding one another. Whatever was left over, they would sell it to the local town in the area. That one farm within three years became 25 farms. As they went into town, they'd say, Father, we can't go to the barbershop. Father said, you know what? Let's put our money together. Let's buy a barbershop. Father, we can't go into the restaurants. We're going to buy a restaurant. Put your money together. Same thing went for hotels, gas stations, until they learned how to create co-ops. Everybody pooling their money together to be a piece of everything. He was teaching them all how to raise their levels of life. And they were eating, having banquets of massive amounts of food. People that even were Caucasian couldn't eat the way they were eating. That's how he started. And from there, it went on to having a Tuskegee Airman flying him around in his own plane to having a custom bird, a custom built Duesenberg, built from him, from the Duesenberg company, a throne car for him, all given to him by the followers. He came on as the messenger, as a preacher. But as he started to do everything for everybody that was under him, we're talking now maybe 100,000 or more followers, they said, no, you can't be the messenger. You are God. How could the messenger do for us what you are doing for us now? At that time, he took what they had said and just became who they wanted him to be. So 
1962, when I met Father Divine, prior to that day, yes, my mother abandoned us or gave us up. I don't want to say abandoned. She knew what she was doing. There was a major plan involved into delivering us to Father Divine. When we went out to the estate, I was told to wait. They brought me into the main house, the mansion, and they asked me to wait over by a baby grand piano and that Father would wanted to see me soon. A white woman in a uh, two-piece suit looked like Miss Hathaway of the Beverly Hillbillies. She came in and she goes, peace, Tommy. Father would like to see you now. I went into Father's office and it was like an octagon, his office, with a red carpet on the floor. Everything was lush. It was just beautiful. But standing to the side were five women, and they were all dressed with blue beanies, a red vest with a V on it, little tie with American like the colors on it, and a blue skirt. And they all were dressed exactly the same. They all had little steno pads in their hands and a pencil. And whenever Father Divine spoke or I spoke, they would start writing everything down. So they brought me in the office. To Father Divine's right was a blonde woman who looked a little surprised at me being there. To Father Divine's left was Miss St. Mary Bloom, a little four foot ten black woman with cat glasses on, who was the treasurer of the movement. And this tall woman who brought me in was the CEO of the movement. Father asked them to please bring a chair up by his desk. They went and put the chair up by his desk in front of it. He goes, no, no, I want Tommy right beside me here. At that time, there was a gasp in the room. Like, why did he want this? He sat me right beside him and he asked me to put my hand on his desk. And he put my, his hand on mine and there was another gasp in the room. And he said, Tommy, it's come to my attention that no one wants you. Your father doesn't want you. Your mother says she can't handle you. Says, if you agree to live with me and stay with me here at Woodmont, I will take care of you for the rest of your life. And Woodmont will always be your home. I looked around the room real quick, seeing what was there. I remember old black and white movies of the Bowery Boys, the East Side Kids eating porridge because nobody wanted them. And I asked father, I said, father. What happens to my mom? What happens to my sister? He goes, they're going to be taken care of, but they won't be living here with you at Woodmont. You will be living here with me. At that time, I said, I remembered my father beating me as a child between six years old and eight. And I thought maybe he didn't really want me. And I said, Father, yes, I'd love to stay with you. At that time, he cleared out the whole room and asked Miss St. Mary Bloom to bring in Mr. Happy Love. And then walked in this six foot two man who was half Cherokee, half black, with a chauffeur's cap under his arm. And he says, peace, father. And father said, peace, Mr. Happy. This is Tommy Garcia. You're going to be a chauffeur, valet, and bodyguard. And Happy Love looked, I had a face on him, like, what? And he said, yes. And you're going to take him now, go buy him all new clothes, and we'll see you at banquet at six o'clock. And that was my first meeting with Father Divine. That was your first meeting with Father Divine. Okay. All right, so that was your very first meeting with Father Divine. So my question would be, how did it, how, how was it there? Father Divine was this great man, according to you, and other people that I've seen on YouTube and different videos that have been made about him, movies and films and documentaries that have been made about him. Um, why, How did you see him? I saw him as my possible new father. The adoption wouldn't come on for another six months when he spoke to me about it. 
But that first night at banquet, I had never been to anything like that. And everybody, I always say they look like piano keys because on one side of the banquet table, the banquet table would seat about 28 people. And then there would be an annex for the others that were on the side. And everybody sat black, white, black, white, black, white. The women on one side, the men on the other. And I always thought we looked like piano keys. And Father Divine had a chair Three, about three chairs away from him. And I guess the hierarchy of the movement, the closer you were to Father Divine, the more important you were. And what he would do is they would bring in massive amounts of food and he would have silver spoons and he would bless each big bowl of food with a spoon and put it in and everybody would pass it down and just pass it down and it would go, there was... I went from eating enchiladas and, and fried chicken and tacos to now eating pig's feet, collard greens, black eyed peas, turnips. My whole life changed, but this food was great. It was incredible. During the food, you would hear a recording of Father Divine in the background. It was one of those wire recordings because they didn't have tape recordings at that time. It'd be a wire recording and you'd hear him speaking from the days of the 1930s, 40s and 50s. He wouldn't talk right then. He would just listen. Everybody would eat and consume his words of wisdom and his words of what he wanted to say to them, why they were consuming their food. It was always, he would never preach if there wasn't food. Always have to be food so you would be consuming both his words and him. And then he asked me, he called me Master Tommy. Call me Master Tommy because of my age. That was it. Master Tommy, please get up and tell everybody what happened. And I got up and said, well, turns out my parents didn't want me. Maybe my father couldn't, didn't want me. My mother couldn't handle me. But father wanted me, and here I am. And next thing you know, maybe you hear people say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And they started getting in the Holy Spirit. And then Miss Sunshine Flowers jumps on the organ, right? And she starts playing and everybody starts singing together. And they start jumping around getting the Holy Spirit. And I had never seen anything like that. I was baptized and confirmed the Catholic, right? In Catholic Church, they don't do that. It's ooh, uh, real quiet. They were jumping, having the best time up there. And this one woman who had looked like a Carmen Miranda with this big hat all the time, she Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, honey bunch, honey, honey bunch, honey, and they'd be talking and stringing, and it was the most incredible scene I'd ever seen, and that went on every single night until Father Divine died, and it was always something new and something different, and these people of color had the most class in the world. People think you have class because you have money. Well, you don't have anything to do with it. You're bred into having class. And they were always dressed to the nine, the followers. I knew followers who helped raise me there that were between 40 and 103 years old. They were the most wonderful people I've ever met in my life till this day. And father's rules were, there's no drinking, no smoking, no undue mixing of sexes, no receiving of gifts, presents, tips, or bribes. Treat everybody with dignity and respect, no matter what race, creed, color, or religion, or station in life. Be the voice who have no voice, and take care of the elderly. When he said take care of the elderly, I knew what he meant. He meant that if he was going to pass away, he wanted somebody to take care of his older followers. That was so important to him, but he didn't know that his Caucasian-Canadian wife had a different plan, a completely different plan. She didn't know really that Father Divine brought me onto the stage and wanted me to be a part of everything. 
she had a different plan. Her plan was she really did not like people of color. She didn't like the elderly. And her massive plan was when Father Divine died, she was going to disband the complete peace mission movement and send everybody packing. And that's exactly what she did. So my time at Woodmont prior to that, Father Divine, when I read in the history book, said Father Divine, at 19, in 1958, he started stopped going out to anywhere. He never went to missions. He never went and preached. That's not true. 1962, it was summer 62. I wasn't going to school for the next few months. He took me to every mission on the East Coast. And I had my limousine back a few cars behind Father Divine, and we would have a procession. And his limo had American flags on the front of it and would start leaving with his procession for Woodmont with all his secretaries and staff. There'd be 10 to 15 limousines. And he would stop the whole entourage before we left the main gates. And he'd tell Mr. Philip Life, who was a Caucasian chauffeur, bring Tommy up here. I want Tommy up here with me. I was never allowed to sit in the back of the car with father because there was a rule there was only women allowed to be with father divine in the back of the car says i want tommy to sit up by mr philip life so i can just look at him and that's what he would do he'd get in the back of the car he'd talk to me through the speaker in the car talk to me and we would talk back and forth right and i understand what my position was i wasn't allowed to to, to do that so that was okay with me but we had an understanding between us that Possibly this person that they had built up as God was now for the first time a father and he was starting to enjoy it. And I thought he was the most kindest person I had ever met in my life. And every time I'd speak to him, he would just light up and smile. This person who I didn't know was on his last years of life, didn't feel like it and it didn't look like it to me. And he taught me so much as a young boy. I know now, in hindsight, why he chose a young boy, because everybody else did have their eyes on his throne. They didn't have any, any gumption or anything in within them to want to carry on his legacy at all. And he believed that I could do it. But he didn't know what I was going to have to go through with all of these followers that were left there. That was the big issue. Uh, there was a question I... He sent me to public school. He wanted me to have as much of a normal life as possible. Even though there was no undue mixing of sexes, he let me go to a public school that had girls. I wasn't allowed to invite the girls to Woodmont. So I made friends with some of the guys. We had created a rat pack. And Happy Love would drop me off in front of the school every day. And I said, Happy, you got to stop doing this. The people are starting to make fun of me, all the children there, They're my, stu my student, my friends. He, I said, from now on, you have to drop me off behind the school, right? And I'll walk across the soccer field and I'll go to school. He goes, well, okay, well, I'm not leaving until I see you get into that school. As I got okay. friends with as I got friends with some of my friends who were there living in the area, they would all ask if they could have a ride to school. So the Rat Pack, it was three of us, we would always go to school in a limousine and we'd be at school. And then we'd be on the soccer field playing and they'd look over and they go, wait a minute, Tommy, isn't that Happy Love way over in the corner? Look at him, he's peeking through a tree. And there he was, Happy Love, keeping an eye on me at all times. When Father Divine decided to adopt me, I had been at Gladwin Elementary for six, for six months. And a young boy was transferred from another school. And he comes up to me one day in the soccer field in front of all my friends. And he says, listen, 
Aren't you that kid whose name is Garcia? And you don't know who your parents are. You don't know who your father is. You don't know who your mother is. They didn't want you. And you're living up there with that. And he dropped the N-bomb. And before he could get to the rest of the word where it hits the R, I cold cocked him. I said, don't you ever talk about my father like that or my mother. Well, they took me into the office, had, got me, told me what you know, I was doing, <laughs> had happy love come and pick me up, took me back to Woodmont. And father says to me, Tommy, what happened today at school? And I said, well, this new boy transferred in. He started to call you the N-word. And before he could get out the last part of the word, I knocked him down. He goes, well, Tommy, you're not supposed to do that. I said, but he told me I didn't know who my father was. And he says, you don't know your father. I'm your father. I am your father, not your spiritual father. I am your father. In fact, I'm going to talk to Miss St. Mary right now, and we're going to stop start adopting procedures for you. Don't ever forget that I'm your father. I never forgot that ever. It's interesting that the first fight I ever got into in life was protecting a person of color, not protecting myself or a Hispanic or Latino or a Caucasian. It was protecting him and what he meant to me. Uh, see, 